Thank you. It's such an honor and a privilege for me to be here tonight and be able to share with you briefly from God's Word and from our story as a church in the life of prayer. Indeed, beloved, tonight we're talking about Jesus teaching us how to pray. As you all know from the scripture that uh, was read to us in Luke chapter 11, at your own time, please find time to read this scripture right from the first verse going all the way to verse 11. One thing I may state to you right from the beginning is that prayer is one of the most talked and taught about subject, yet the least practiced despite the fact that it has been a command given to us right from the beginning. So I'll be the worst teacher, one of the failed teachers, because I'll teach about a subject that my student may not necessarily practice. Many books have been written about prayers. Many things have been said about prayers. But what is happening in our community? We pray at our convenience, and especially when every other thing has failed. Maybe this is in Congo. God seems the last in our priorities. Why so? Because we lean on our skills, we trust our jobs and finances and programs and strategies and planning rather than depending on God many times. The banking question that I want to submit to us tonight is where do we put God in our daily lives, in our families, in our churches, in our planning and strategic planning, short and mid and uh, long-term strategic plans we have for our families, where do we put God? I want to challenge you and remind you, church, that this is the time we need to pray more than ever before. We've been praying, but we need to pray even more than we've ever prayed before. We have this prayer point here. Just going through it, you see the need for prayer in this land and in this church. We need to pray and pray even more for our land because so much is happening. And I want to let you know that America is a land which is more in danger or more exposed to danger than any other country in the world. Do you know why? Because Satan has raised so many enemies against your land. So this is the time the devil is fighting this land using every kind of situations. This is the time your nation is backsliding. Your nation has been the backbone for mission throughout the world. All the missionaries who planted churches around the world came from this land. All the finances which are growing churches around the world are coming from this land. Yet this land is forgetting God, backsliding day after day, literally putting God out of our public life and private life. We don't need God. We have it all. So God, why do we need you? This is a time this land needs to pray more and more and more because of the growing insecurity problem we have, because of the huge threat we have on family lives, the divorce rate, you know it. You know about the pastors quitting ministries. The statistics talking about 1,500 pastors who are quitting ministries in this land every month or a year. You can imagine what is happening in this land. And right now the government has shut. I don't know if it, it opened. So we need to pray. We need to pray because even the church is losing its theological perspective. The theological stand is moving. We are becoming liberal. We are drifting from the way of the faith, trying to accommodate everyone because we don't want to be looked at and treated as traditional and radical on our stand. But I want to let you know that Jesus was a radical person. And if he sent us out, he sent us with a radical message. It's either you believe, you stand by it, or nothing. There's no middle ground. 
This is a time this country needs to stand and pray. And Belea, you need to pray. You need to pray even more because you're going through a transitional period. You know and you have noted that your congregation is growing smaller. Few people leaving the congregation. This is a time we need to stand up and pray. And pray even more. And when we go through this scripture quickly, you find that Jesus' disciples, after seeing him praying and praying and praying, waking up very early in the morning, leaving them snoring, he was praying. And they were like, there's something here with us. What's wrong with us? After seeing him praying, they were like, can you please teach us how to pray? And then he goes about showing them basically a pattern of prayer. How you can pray at your own time. But sadly, even today, the pattern of prayer that Jesus taught us has become a recitation. The Lord's Prayer today, everyone wants just to recite it, and they think that we have prayed. That was not what Jesus meant. He only showed us how to pray, and that is how he introduces the talk and says, if you are to pray, this is how you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he goes on, he goes on. He did not say that this is, this is the prayer you always have to make every day. No, it was a pattern. And when you go through that prayer, beloved, you find a number of things listed right there in this prayer. As he teaches them how to pray, basically, Few things I can mention as observing through this scripture. The first thing Jesus wanted to teach the disciples and teachers was that the, every prayer we need to make should be God-centered. It should always be God-centered, not our need-based. Our Father, it's all about Him. It's all about His sovereignty. It's all about His holiness. It's all about His glory. This is what prayer is all about, beloved? It's a fellowship. It's a communion between us and God. It's not just begging goods from God. No. It's not just trying to sweet talk God and twist his hand around. No. It's an act of submission to God. It's basically understanding that I'm approaching a holy God, my creator, letting him know my cares and concerns, but waiting upon him to answer and respond as he will. And as I pray, when I make a wrong request, God's answer will be no. If I ask for something which is not timely, God's answer will be wait. And if I ask for the right thing at the right time, God's answer will be yes. And when I make a big mistake altogether, God's answer will be, grow my son or my daughter. That is what prayer is all about. It's a spiritual discipline, beloved, and it is strenuous and frustrating. All of us struggle with this, and especially in the busy life of Los Angeles. We have no time. We are so concerned about the traffic. We are so concerned about getting late. We are so concerned about our children, about this and this and that. But do we have time to sit back and seek this fellowship with God? We were talking with my family, my host family here that I've grown to love and call them my parents this week. And they were telling me, you know what? Sometimes we don't pray because we are not in crises. It's until we get in a crisis, that is when we think, oh, I need to pray. Oh, I forgot to pray, by the way. This is why I'm in this mess. Beloved, our church in the Congo, with all the troubles we have gone through, we have come to learn that there is only one thing we can depend on. It's prayer. You pray for every single thing. You pray for your security, you pray as you go out, you pray as you walk, you pray as you go in, you pray for what you eat, you pray for everything because we know that anything can happen anytime to anybody, anywhere. If God is not there, then it's over with us. So in our church in Bunia, 
every morning, six to seven is time of prayer. Between 150 and 250 people gather every single day, six to seven, to start the day with God. In a church as a fellowship, praying for different families, praying for everyone going to job, praying for every, every situation and circumstance. This is what we do. Every Tuesday, we have a day of prayer and fasting. The whole day, praying for the different subjects we have. Every Saturday, every Sunday, we have what we call a night of prayer. When I was told that we would be having a night of prayer, I knew that we'll be here from 7 at least to 1 in the morning. That is what we call the shortest night of prayer. But when we talk about a night of prayer in Bunia, it's 8 to 6 o'clock in the morning. On our knees, on mats, crying to God for different situations. Every day we have intercessors on the call, praying. We have what we call the house of power in our church. It's a small room in a cave where people hide, seeking the face of God for the security of the land, for the healing of the land, for the growth of the church, for every single need in the land. This is how prayer is just part of us. As Jesus taught his disciples, the second thing he wanted them to know was that prayer should be kingdom-oriented. Let your kingdom come what is God up to? He wants his reign to be extended throughout the world because we failed him and handed over our leadership of the world to the devil when Adam sinned. So today, he, the devil is basically reigning. He wants his kingdom to grow. And how will the kingdom grow? It's through the sharing of the gospel. He wants our prayer to be kingdom-oriented. His reign must be felt in our government offices, in the public transportation, in the public schools, in the hospitals, everywhere. His reign and kingdom must be extended there. Yet today, what we're doing is just, we don't want and need you. Hear God, go away. He's expecting us, waiting from us to extend this kingdom. In the way we live, in the way we behave, in the way we talk, everywhere. Last night I was telling the young people in the foundry that we need to get mad at what is happening and make people uncomfortable by hearing about Jesus, seeing about Jesus through everything we do. Because they make us uncomfortable anyway by the way they behave. Then why should we be quiet? A revolution is needed. And where are we Christians? Our prayer should be kingdom-oriented. The third thing he wanted just to show them was that prayer should be covering all our needs. Why covering our needs? Because we depend on him, not on our jobs, which are just temporal by the way we work with contracts. And this is why he, he talks about praying. Give us our daily food. Lead us not to temptation. Forgive us our debts, even as we forgive the others. Basically, here prayer was to cover all our needs, our physiological needs, all of them, food, clothing, whatever we need, our spiritual need because we are wretched and naked before him. We need him anyway. We are unholy. We are sinners. We need him. We need his forgiveness day in, day out. We sin as we walk, as we talk, as we think. We need him. This is our spiritual need. Our relational need. We keep stepping on each other's toes. In Africa, we say we are like cows because cows has long, have long horns, and even when they are seated or uh, laying down, the horn will keep knocking each other. You just hear quack, 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 something like this. This is how human being we are. You may say something thinking that it's a good thing you've said you have hurt someone already. This is happening. Forgive us even as we forgive others. This was relational. But also the prayer was protectional. Because he said, lead us not into temptation. We need his protection. We need his guidance. 
so that we may not fall into any temptation, be it of money, of sex, of power, of selfishness, whatever temptation which is just laying down there. And all this was to show that we depend and we depend on him and on him alone. Someone wrote something very interesting that I found and I want to read it to you very quickly. And he says, as we pray the Lord's, the Lord's Prayer, we pray to our Father who loves us so much and has given us his Son as our Savior. We affirm that our Father is in heaven where he reigns supreme over the entire universe. We ask that God's name be hallowed by the way we live so that others will look at us and give glory to our Father in heaven. Is that the case? I don't know. We are praying both for the king and the kingdom to come. And while we wait, we pray for courage to be kingdom people who reflect the values of the world to come. We pray for God's will to be done even if it means that our will is not done. We acknowledge that God's will is not yet done on earth as it is in heaven, but we do our part by sharing the gospel and showing forth the love of Christ to those we meet every day. We pray for our daily bread because we depend completely on the Lord for what we need and we share what we have with others because God has blessed us so richly. We pray that our debts might be forgiven because we are sinners in thought, words, and deeds. We also forgive our debtors knowing that we cannot have fellowship with the Father while we harbor bitterness in our hearts toward others. We pray that God will not lead us into temptation because we realize our weaknesses and we know that without God's help, we will lose the battle every time. So, beloved, I want to tell you that whenever we pray and pray this Father's prayer, it's a dangerous prayer. Did you know why? I call it a dangerous prayer. A prayer that we should avoid to pray if we know that we cannot pray it and leave it out. Let me tell you a few reasons. You cannot say, our Father, when you are not living it right and acting as a child towards him. I can't talk about my father when I don't have a good relationship with him. I cannot talk about who is in heaven when I'm not laying any treasure up there where I'll be spending my eternity. I cannot say, hallowed be your name when I'm not striving for holiness. I cannot say, your kingdom come when I'm not doing anything to hasten this kingdom to come. I cannot say this be done on earth as it is in heaven when I'm unwilling to serve and expand this kingdom. I cannot say forgive us our debts when I'm harboring grudges against someone else. I cannot say lead us not into temptation when deliberately I'm stepping out to go and embrace sin. So you can think about this again and again. And you cannot say your kingdom come when you are not a faithful subject to this king. So beloved, what am I saying tonight? When we're talking about the Lord's Prayer, friends, and when we talk about the life of prayer in the church, it's extremely important that we understand it right from the beginning. What does Christ or what does God expect from us when we pray? And how should we pray? And the question will still remain, do we pray as we should? Are we God-centered? Are we kingdom-oriented? Are we praying for all our needs, especially spiritual and relational? Are we thinking about this? The third thing I want to submit to us is that there's power when we pray. And there's more power when there's corporate prayer. In the book of Acts chapter 12, Verses 1 to 17. Basically, we have a call for corporate prayer. Here we find a similar situation to ours today, whereby the church is growing, growing so fast, but persecution 
arises against the church. Herod decides to kill James. And then, seeing that the thing has really pleased the people, he picks Peter as well, and he has him arrested and ready to kill him. But this time, the church says, no, we cannot stay back and see our leaders dying. We need to do something. And the something we know to do better is praying. We will shake heaven and we know that God will come down and will save us from this situation. They gather together. They start praying and they pray and something happens. Beloved, I don't know if you're seeing that the church is under persecution. I think it is. If not openly in this land, in other countries, people are dying day after day just for confessing Christ. But I think that in this land as well, the church is under persecution. Because if we are not given freedom to mention the name of Jesus in schools, in public places, what do we call persecution? The church is under persecution. If we haven't reached a point whereby churches are being closed down, it's happening in Nigeria and other lands where churches are being closed down and bombed and, and destroyed the way it has been in, in Congo. In my country, in my region, over 250 congregations were burnt down during the war. What do we call persecution if not similar situation like this? We are under attack today. The core values of Christianity are attacked. God is a family God, but today we think otherwise. He started the marriage, today we think that it's otherwise. The core values of Christianity are attacked. What do we call persecution apart from those ones? Beloved, the church is under attack and we need to stand and pray. When this church decided as one people, as one family to stand and pray, something happened. So this is what I'm calling Belia to do. It's time for this church to stand and pray. But what happened in this church? They knew what the problem was. And I think that we know what is the problem in Belia. This is why we have these prayer notes. We know some of the problems. They knew that there is a problem. And they also knew that there is a problem solver to whom they can turn to. And that was their God. They turned to God in prayer. They knew that the only weapon we have is prayer. The government is against us, but God is for us. We can turn to him. He who has the heart of the king in his hand, we can tell him what to do and he will do it. They went to prayer. And how did they pray? It was fervent prayer. They prayed without ceasing. It was focused prayer. Their prayer was focused on one man called Peter. God, you have to release him. You have to release him. You have to release him. It was focused. It was a family prayer. Corporate prayer. Everyone came together as members of a family because that is what the Bible calls us and describes us in the book of 1 Corinthians. We are one body. They came together putting aside their differences they knew that there's one uniting cause, and this is the cause of Christ. We need this man free because he's the leader of this church. We know that he's leading a movement. He has a promise from God. God, you have to do something. They came together as a family. But not only that, their prayer was fruitful. Because they prayed until something happened. But let me, let, let me tell you something. Sometimes we pray. And when the answer comes, we doubt. And we wonder, oh, is this what I really prayed for? <laughs> These guys pray and pray and pray and pray. When Peter is out of the prison, they were like, no, he can't be. And they mentioned something that may be his angel. In the African mindset, that will be his ghost. Meaning that he's dead, now his ghost is moving around. Because he, it can't be. How? He's in prison, and when you read the scripture, he's under a squad. He's under a chain, and then sleeping in the midst of four different soldiers looking 
and keeping him tight and down. But God comes from heaven and says, I know how to set my people free. And he does it. And Peter is out. A fruitful prayer. Beloved, when we come together, praying fervently, praying with a focus, praying as a family, praying faithfully, God answers and we have a fruit of our prayer or a response or an answer for our prayer. I remember in 2003, my senior pastor and my mentor, Pastor Sam, was kidnapped by the rebels. They came at his house, picked him up, and we knew at that period, when you are picked, you are dead. I was out of the country in Uganda then. I got a call saying, your dad has been kidnapped. That was five o'clock in the evening. I knew God has to do something. I called everyone I could call and let them know that our pastor has been kidnapped. I did not ask them to do, to make a call to the government leader or anything. I just told them, pray. I know that God will deliver him. I remember going, walking, and going into the bush, let's say in the garden, what you'd call, and praying. I prayed from seven up to three on my knees, crying to God, reminding God of all the promises and telling God that this is your servant and I know that he has a mission. He still has a lot to do. He's mentoring us and he's serving you. You have to deliver him, Lord. Do something about this situation. I looked at my watch, it was three. I continued praying. The next thing I woke up, it was five in the morning and you know what woke me up? It was the cold in the morning, in the garden praying. By 7 o'clock in the morning, I received a call that he was returned home around midnight. And what happened? The rebels shoot each other because of him. One group was ready to kill him, and the other group was against killing him. At the end, they shoot each other, and then he, he had a way of running, and that is what God can do. Beloved, these are not stories. This is true, and God can still do this today. We are called to pray. Let's stand up and pray. We need a senior pastor for this church. We need to pray. The members who have gone out, let's pray them in and back. God is, is there. However, even as I finish, we need to note some hindrances to our prayers. Sometimes we want to pray, and we need to pray, and we are challenged to pray, but we need to note few hindrances to our prayer. The number one hindrance to our prayer is sin. The Bible is so clear. Any types of sin in Isaiah 59, 1 to 2, the Bible is so clear. The hand of the Lord is not short to bless all his here deaf to hear and answer us. But our sins have just put a separation between us and him. Then he cannot hear and he cannot answer our prayer. The second hindrance to our prayer is broken relationship. Any broken relationship with a friend, with a family, with a relative, with a colleague or anyone can just be a hindrance to our prayer. Because that's what the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 11, verse 25 to 26. If you find yourself to the altar and trying to pray, and you remember that you have something against your brother, go back and make it right. So we need to see and search in our lives which or how many broken relationships do we have. And we need to make things right so that we may pray and God may hear us. The third hindrance to our prayers for those of us who are married are marital misunderstanding. Marital misunderstandings can be a hindrance to our prayer. We are married. If things are not right within you, between you and your wife or your husband, please make it right because in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, the Bible is clear about that. If things are not working well between you, then your prayers are not going anywhere. The fourth hindrance to our prayer is a self-show. Many of us would like to pray 
and have people know that we pray and we pray much and everywhere we go it's like, how can I pray for you? I pray. You know, I pray. I pray for people. How can I pray for you? This will be uh, a Pharisee type of thing in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 and 5. The fifth hindrance to our prayer are wrong motives. In the book of James chapter 4, verse 3, the Bible talks about wrong motives. You pray and you don't receive because you don't pray rightly. You want to have anything you want so that you may show off or anything like that. And C.S. Lewis once said, I wonder where my life would be if God answered all my prayers. Because if you prayed, I need a car and you have it. I need a wife, I have it. I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. You'll be spoiled and you do nothing. You'll just be a junk. Wrong motives. The fifth or sixth, I think, will be doubt. When we pray, we need to believe that God is there and he's willing. And if it's in his will, he will answer us. Don't doubt. When you're praying for the salvation of that beloved one, pray until God saves them. When you're praying about the recovery of this uh, drug addict or any, pray until God does that. Don't doubt it. And the last hindrance that I can mention tonight is failure to helping the poor and the needy. When we fail to help the poor and the needy, the Bible is clear in Proverbs 21, 13, that he who is not willing to help the poor, God will not hear him when he is in time of needs. So beloved, I want to challenge us tonight that it's time to pray. We need to pray. We must pray. It's time to pray. As a church, let's come together and pray. Because that's the only way God can heal our land. That is the only way God can heal this country. We need to know that prayer should be our steering wheel, not our spare tire. Never. Those who don't pray trust in their own might, in their own limited resources. Some will turn to God when everything has failed and when they feel like their foundations are shaken. And when they know that this foundation is not shaken by anybody, this should be God. That is when they turn to God and say, God, you know what? You have been so faithful and you are so forgiving. I know that you are shaking my foundation. Now have mercy on me. Sometimes he looks at you and says, okay, I, I will shake it a little bit more so that you may even come closer. My question tonight to each one of us will be, what are you relying on? Are you relying on your education? You will get what the education will give. Are you relying on your skills? You'll get exactly what the skill can do. Are you relying on technology? Thank you. You'll get what the technology will give. Are you relying on your money? You'll get what the money will give. Are you relying on people? You'll get what people will give and do. Are you relying upon your great organizational structure and strategies and planning? We will get that. But if we rely on prayer, we will get what God will give and do. May God help us to stand up and pray and be a praying church because that's the only way we can change the world. God bless us even as we pray tonight. Amen. Thank you so much. And uh, we are going to pray now. Um, it's not late. It's early. Um, if you're tired, know that God will energize you. Um, know that God will get you home. And, um, but we are going to ask you to mess up all the chairs right now. You're in groups of four or five. Would you um, come into groups and would you take this sheet and would you ask, just look down it, ask God to highlight one thing for you in the power of the Spirit to pray for. So right now, would you please get into groups? And uh, we're just going to take 15 minutes together and pray. Pray as the Spirit leads you. Pray as we have been taught by Pastor James. And uh, go to God.
connect with the Lord at this time. I know he's here. He has asked us to come to him and pray, and he will answer. That's what he promises in his word. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will, and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Tonight, Father, in the name of Jesus, with my brothers and sisters, we decided just to be in your presence. Others are having fun, Lord, home. This big congregation of thousands of people. See, the few who are here, Lord, they have made a sacrifice in your presence because they care. They have a burden, Lord, for this church. They have a burden for this land. And that's why, Lord, we come before you crying to you tonight that you heal this land. Father, heal this land because this is our land. Because this is the land you gave to this nation. You gave the boundary of this land and you gave founding fathers for this land. People who knew you, who loved you, who served you, or Lord who sacrificed for you and who are willing to establish the foundation of this land upon your word. That is why the greatest declaration for this land is in God we trust. Not in money, not in armed forces, but in God. Yet today, Lord, this God, your God, Jehovah, our God, we are just backsliding and running away from you. Forgive us. We have thrown you out of our politics. We have thrown you out of our school, out of our families, out of our public places. Lord, forgive us. This is why, because you are not there, our children are in danger every time. The shootings in the school, in the supermarkets, in the government offices, because there is no protection your protection, your hand of protection has been removed from us because we have nothing to do with you. So, Lord, forgive this land. Forgive our leaders. We pray about spiritual revival. Where will it come from if we don't walk in holiness with you? We know that revival happens when we turn away from our sins, when we turn away from our wickedness, we seek you in your word. We walk in holiness. That is when you remember the land and you revive the land. And we are in Los Angeles, the city where pornography is produced, where violence is propagated. Lord, how will revival come? Forgive us, Lord. We pray for spiritual revival from the north to the south of the land, from the east to the west. Just the way this country turned to you from its foundation, that is what we want, Lord. You have promised us in your word in Jeremiah that you can turn the hearts of people. Lord, you have promised to change the hearts of stones to hearts of flesh, Lord. Turn the hearts of Americans from stones to flesh back to you, Lord. From women to men, from children to old people, all of us, Lord, turn us back to you. We pray for the love of God. We want to love you, Lord, more than our cars, more than our jobs, more than our bank accounts, more than our families. We want to love you, Lord, more than the leisure and the Disneyland and whatever. We invest in so much entertainment. We want to love you, spend more time in your word than televisions and entertainment. Oh, Lord, just pour your spirit, your Holy Spirit, oh, Lord, that will convict us so much that we have time 
For you in praying together as a family, having an altar call, an altar family, an altar time where we get together and worship and pray before even we watch the news that we just want all the time to be branched to. And it's not good news, it's bad news. It's all about the death, the killing, the accidents, oh Lord, the wars. Father, forgive us. Revive our heart, O oh Lord, tonight. Revive our hearts. Give us this love for your word. How much time do we have for movies? It's 90 minutes, but how much time do we have in the churches? 60 minutes. Forgive us, Lord. This shows how we love the world more than you, though you're telling us clearly through your servant John in John 15, we should not love the world and the things of the world. Yet that is what we are. Forgive us, O oh Father. We pray for our government leaders. Thank you because your word is clear, O oh Lord, in Romans 13, that every government comes from you. We want to respect them. And you command us through your servant Paul in 1 Timothy to pray for those in leadership. So tonight, Lord, we pray for every kind of leader in this nation, from the county level to Washington, D.C., where the center of power is. Lord, we pray that you draw our government leaders to know you and to meeting you personally. We know that, Lord, with the rise of secularism and devil worshiping, and also, Lord, with occult movements happening, many of them have gone into sacred societies. Forgive and heal, Lord. Heal. They are the people who decide for the nation. Lord, draw them to you. Save them. Save them, oh Lord, from the president to the minister to the secretaries and all these government leaders to the mayors of the cities and the clerks. Lord, we pray that you meet them personally. You have granted them portion of decision and authority and leadership. But Lord, their hearts are in your hands. Lord, the way you dealt with Pharaoh, the way you dealt with different kings, deal with them tonight. Lord, raise leaders who love you. Raise leaders who love the people. Raise leaders who love the land. Raise leaders who will fight for the land and above all fight for the welfare of the Christian values in this land. Tonight, Lord, I pray that those who are not out there to advocate for your values, Lord, we send them out of the office. We pray that, Lord, you replace them by God-fearing people. Lord, this is what we need in this country. We wait to see the days again the Congress will open with prayer and with a word and meditation. We wait when the days will come when the House of Representatives will meet and start with prayer and meditating upon your word. We wait for and we long for these days, Lord. Do this, you can do it. It happened, it can still happen because you are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. You never change, Father. So visit this land and visit the government offices. We pray for wisdom in their decision. We pray for your guidance and we pray for your insight. Lord, we pray for the restoration of favor for our land. This land has become the most hated land today. Being an American, wherever they are, Lord, most of the time they are unsafe. We have battleground day after day in Afghanistan. Oh, Lord, wherever they are in Iraq, we pray that you keep them, that you protect them, that you bless them. They sacrifice their lives for others. The veterans who come, oh, Lord, many of them with injuries, we pray that, Lord, you bless them. We pray that above all, Lord, you bless this land economically, militarily, and you bless it with missions mind. Revive the church, Lord. Revive the church, Lord. Bless the church, Lord, so that this church may bless the world. Send out missionaries as you've been sending for the rest of the world, and you can do this. Thank you because you are gracious. And thank you because you're good. Lord, I want to pray 
for each family represented here and representing every family in this land. Lord, we know that the family is the first institution you started. You ordained it. It is between a man and a woman. That is what you ordained. But today we know that the devil and his agents are fighting this family unit. But we declare and decree in the name of Jesus that they shall never prevail. In the name of Jesus, their plans shall fail. No matter how many states will vote for it, Lord, we declare that you will, your will shall be established and nothing shall stand against it in the mighty name of Jesus. You'll keep the family safe and sound. We speak against the spirit of divorce. People who have lived together for 20 years and even more because of petty things that they call unreconciliable, I don't know what, misunderstanding or what. Lord, we say no to this. We speak love in the families. We speak forgiveness and understanding again among your people, Lord, and a heart to bear with one another. You want us to pray for one another, to hold each other, to support one another. Lord, help Americans' family to live this. Help the families to educate your children in your ways right from childhood. Lord, so that they may grow not to forget your ways. But Lord, I pray that the family unit should be strong. Thank you, Lord, because you'll protect marriages. Thank you, Lord, because you'll protect children even as they go out and go in. Even as they play in the parks, you'll watch over them and keep them, Lord. Thank you because you also remember to heal the sick. We have so many sick people in our land. Some suffering from obesity and to all kinds of sicknesses, Lord. Cancers and others we cannot even mention. We know that you remain Jehovah, Rapha, the healer of your people. Extend your healing hand upon the people. And even some may be ailing right here in this congregation tonight. Lord, stretch your healing hand and touch some of them, Lord, and heal. In the name of Jesus. We know that by your stripes we have been healed. So tonight, Lord, extend your healing hand and touch the sick and the ailing, the elderly. Oh, Lord, touch and heal. Thank you because you are good and gracious. Lord, joblessness is becoming a big issue in this country. Lord, we pray for the creation of job opportunities because we know that if we don't work, we can't find something to eat. It's true that a number of people, Lord, depend on the government checks. And that is not biblical. You want us to sweat and work so that we may earn our food. That is what you teach us, Lord. Help everyone to understand that we have to get out and work. But also, Lord, teach us wisdom and give us wisdom on how to spend the money you give us, little or much, oh Lord. Deliver this land from the spirit of consumerism. Just buying everything, even what we don't need. Spending on things which are not useful. Oh Lord, forgive us and set us free from this spirit. Set this land free from debts. Help your people Lord, to know and to be contented with whatever they have. Not just getting into debts because it's not biblical. You tell us in your word that we should not have any debts apart from loving each other. Lord, set your people free. Let them come out of the debts in the name of Jesus. Lord, I want to pray for the family, this church, a great congregation that you started years ago and it has impacted so many lives. You said that you will build your church. And the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. Lord, the way you've had this church stand, it will stand. Even at this period of transition, I pray that, Lord, you will lead the such committee. You will give them wisdom. You will lead them in the right path. And I know that you know, Father, someone somewhere who will be leading this church. And it's my prayer that, Lord, you will connect the such committee to this person. You'll bring him to our way. He will be a man of integrity, a man of vision, 
a man of character, a man who has a heart for your people, and a man who has a heart for the mission worldwide, a man who will give guidance for this congregation. He will be a shepherd. He will be a shepherd after your own heart. He will shepherd this congregation with love and understanding. And that he will move this congregation to the next level. Where we have never been, Lord, that is where we are looking forward. Because you will take us there. And it will not be by might, nor by power or knowledge, but by your spirit. Thank you, Lord, because you're bringing him. We thank you because he's on the way. And thank you for the leadership team in general. All the associate pastors. Give them unity of purpose, love for one another, bearing for one another, praying for one another, standing with one another, supporting each other, Lord, so that together they may serve you and show the way for the congregation. Thank you for all the different ministries in the church, be it the women, the youth, the foundry, all the ministry, the children ministry, Lord. We pray for the different leaders of these departments, that you may keep them, that you may ignite fire in them to love you, to serve you with more commitment, oh Lord. We pray for all the members. Keep them strong in their faith. Not moving left and right, not tossed by any situation and circumstance, that all will grow into knowing you and loving you and wanting to become more like you, Christ. Lord, we pray for the weak members because you ask us to bear with them. Those who are weak, Father, we pray that you strengthen them. Those who have started thinking of moving away, you will draw them back to yourself. Turn their hearts back to their congregation because we don't want the devil to get hold of them because that is the way he does it. He knows that he will have them dispersed one by one and then get them one by one. We say no to that. Bring them back to the church. Thank you, Lord. We pray for the mission department, the worldwide involvement that this church has. Lord, provide guidance and funding. And Lord, give them unity. Give them a clear vision. Give them the right partners so that they may make changes and touch the world for you, O oh Lord. We pray for all the partners all over the world. Bless them, unite them, and keep them. And Lord, I want to pray for everyone who came here tonight. You know each one with their cares. You know each one with their concerns. You know each one with any challenge. Lord, I pray that you meet everyone at the point of their needs. That you may supply. That you may heal their bodies. That you may heal their hurting souls and Heart, may, may you touch each one, Lord. And as they go back, let them say that I met the Lord. And he's dealing with my situation. And he's my God. Bless your people. Each one by name. Because you have purpose to do that. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.